I'm going to read Psalm 128 and we're going to start verse 1. And it reads, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that this morning you would open our eyes, you would open our ears to your word, that your word would go forth illuminating how grand, how big, how mighty you are. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What makes you happy? What makes you happy? I know for myself, when I was 10 years old, basketball made me happy. So I can remember years of just going outside after school and shooting hoops. And I was especially happy when I was playing against my brother, who's four years older than me. And even happier still when I beat my brother. Didn't happen a lot, but when I did, I was happy. For a great part of my life, I have found happiness in surfing. I love getting up early as the sun rises. I love diving into the water with my surfboard and paddling for that first wave, feeling the water flow over your body as the wave crests and rises and peaks and you jump and rise to your feet and feel the wave throw over a canopy of H2O encompassing you and you ride through this barrel. You can tell it makes me happy, right? (laughs) What makes you happy? Is it the house that you really want? Is that what makes you happy? Is it the dream relationship? Is that what's going to make you happy? Is it the career or the, the pay rise in the career? Is that what's going to make you happy? What makes you happy? Well, this psalm, Psalm 128, gives us a picture of the psalmist who is truly happy. Not just the happiness that arises out of surfing, though that is happiness. But here we find a psalm, the psalmist speaks of true happiness. And here we see that true happiness is in fearing God. And the psalm paints a picture of a truly happy life. We see that his, his work life goes well for him. We see that his family is brimming and delightful, deliciously full of happiness. Do you want to be happy? Do you want to be truly happy? I want to be happy. This psalm argues that true happiness is for those who fear God. 
if you want a roadmap as we walk through this psalm, to give you the big picture, we're going to go three points. The first point is the source. If true happiness is to fear God, then the source is found in fearing God. The second is that the reason, if true happiness is fearing God, then the reason is we can enjoy His ways. And the third point is the plea, the psalmist's plea. May you be truly happy. So let's look at the first point. The first point is the source of true happiness, fearing God. I'm going to read verse 1. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Pause there. Blessed. The language here is actually best understood as happy. And it's not just just happy in the sense that I spoke of where I was happy when I'm surfing. But here it speaks of a true happiness. Blessed or happy, truly happy, is everyone. Notice the all-encompassing word. It is so inclusive. It doesn't say, blessed is the old, or blessed are the young. No, 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 the the language is all-encompassing. Everyone can know this true happiness. And the psalm continues in verse 1, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. See, that's an interesting combination, isn't it? The source of this true happiness that is attainable and available for everyone, the source is not surfing, the source is, is not property, is not possession. No, the source, we're told, is fear and the fear of God. It's not often that you see a sentence where you see happy or blessed with fear. It's like you're looking out and saying, what a lovely, hot, cold day. Or you might look at me and, say, and think, what a, what a tall, short man. It just isn't a sentence that you would come across, really. So to think that true happiness is fearing God We need to unpack that, don't we? We need to explore somewhat what it is to truly fear God, that that we might have what we long for, true happiness. So who is this God that we're to fear? As we dive into the Bible, we gain a massive picture from Genesis to Revelation of how absolutely sovereign God is. From the life of Joseph, uh, led into slavery and captivity, through to Jesus, who was led like a lamb to the slaughter. We have a picture of a God who is absolutely sovereign in all circumstances, in all situations. Perhaps you've been in an event that you've been looking forward to, and you've arrived at at the uh, place of the event to see a sign that says, cancelled due to circumstances outside of our control. Friends, the Bible presents a God... The God who, of this universe who will never come across that sign. There are no circumstances outside of his control. All circumstances are under his control. He is absolutely sovereign. Friends, God, the God of the Bible speaks of himself as the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who sits outside of time. This is a God who is all powerful. There is no limit on his power. I went for a drive down the south coast when I was 18 and I made it to, the plan was actually to go to Melbourne. I made it to Bega when my old Camry wagon started smoking, gush was, smoke was gushing out the bonnet. 
and I was going up a hill and I just made it pulled over to the side. Perhaps the car died on the side and I did what every man should and would do, popped the bonnet and went around and stood in front of it, though I had no idea. Right then, I was limited in what I could actually do. If, if you needed me to put water in the windscreen wipers, I'm good for that. If you needed me to stack some surfboards on the roof, I'm good for that. But as far as it comes to my mechanical expertise, I'm very limited. We read about God in Matthew that he is, there is nothing that isn't possible for him. All things are possible with the God of the Bible, with the God of the universe. He is huge. He is all-knowing. He is the one who knows your every thought and your every deed. He is the one who breathed life into all of creation. We struggle just to keep a fresh breath, and yet by his very breath, light, and there was light. What a great, awesome, huge God that we have presented in the Bible, that we presented through the Bible, we can find and see in our world, the God of this universe. So if that is the God that we're to fear, what is it to fear God? Have you ever been afraid of something? I was thinking just during the week about things that I've been afraid of, and I remember surfing on the mid-north coast, a beach for the first time, and I was surfing by myself, which isn't always wise, and a fin popped up, and I squealed like a little girl. And then all of a sudden a few more fins popped up, and they started making it clear it was dolphins. But the fear of sharks can be real to me. Again, in surfing, I can be very afraid, terrified even, uh, when a wave pummels you down deep underwater. I remember one particular experience. I was surfing a big wave in Sydney right in front of some, a cliff face. Again, not the smartest thing. And I, I took off in this big wave and I didn't make it. That's a usual thing for me too. I didn't make it to the bottom. And the wave drove me down deep underwater. And I didn't know which way was up. And I was starting to lose oxygen. And you start to think and panic. And you're just like, I just want to get to the top. And you get to the top. And you get a big breath. And then the next set has just punched you and pummeled you back down. And you're thinking, where are the rocks? And you go through it again. And in that moment, it's terrifying. My wife, Bianca, can be afraid of spiders. What is it that you could be afraid of? Or on the flip side, what are you not afraid of? Teddy bears? They're not that scary. I'm not really afraid of them. Small children? Sometimes, maybe. <laughs> I think to fear something is to realise that that thing has the potential to take away your control. I'm afraid of waves that pummel me down because I realise they have almighty power bigger than me. And at that moment, I feel inferior. And my control is very limited. But I can control a teddy bear, right? So I'm not, I'm not really afraid of a teddy bear. Do you fear God? Perhaps the Bible doesn't really define a fear of God so much as describe a fear of God. So as we survey the Bible, again, we, we find people who perhaps don't fear God. It's the Pharaoh who God's representative comes to him, Moses, and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh's looking around and thinking, I'm the ruler, I'm the one on the throne here, buddy, and, and 
I've never heard of this Lord that you're speaking about. And then plague after plague after plague, he is pummeled into submission to the great Lord, the God, the Yahweh of Moses, unwillingly even to let the people go. Do you fear God? Or perhaps it's, it's the family of Korah who again positioned themselves against Moses who, who didn't like his leadership, his God-ordained leadership. And the whole earth opened up and their entire family was swallowed up. These are people who did not fear God. So what is it to fear God? We see that described as well. See, Moses had a, a reverent fear of this almighty God who we've had already seen and had the description of. And when Moses heard this God speak, his face shone. So mighty and glorious is the God that Moses met. Or maybe it's, it's the disciples who on the one hand were incredibly afraid of a storm. And they went and woke up Jesus and said, Jesus, wake up! And Jesus woke up and in essence looked at the storm, the wind, the waves and said, shut up! And everything went still. And what was once terrifying in the storm, all of a sudden they are more terrified because they recognize they are in the presence of deity. That before them is the Son of God. And the word that Mark uses to describe them is terrified. Or maybe it's Isaiah. The description of Isaiah in chapter 6 is taken up to the throne room of God. And the seraphs shout, holy, holy, holy is God. So separate, so far above is this almighty God that Isaiah is thrown to the ground in fear. So aware that God is almighty, all-powerful. He is the creator and Isaiah is the creature. And he is in that moment aware that he is subordinate, that he is not the one in control, that the almighty Yahweh, friends, God is the one in control. Or maybe it's the beloved disciple and the description we have of his encounter with God. See, see John spent years in the, with, with, the, uh, with Jesus in the ministry and walking with Jesus. And yet we read in Revelation when he was caught up in a dream and encountered the most high, holy, sovereign one, he couldn't help but throw himself to the ground and cover his face. He understood what it was as a creature to be in the presence of the Creator. Friends, lift your eyes up to see this God, the God of the Bible. He is huge. He is great. He is almighty. Not you. Not me. Do you fear him? Do you recognize how dreadfully powerful he is? Did you, did you measure the water in your hands? No. Did, did you weigh up the mountains versus the hills? Have, have you done that? Did you, have you seen the storehouses full of snow? Or, or maybe, maybe you've seen the, the storehouses where all the hail is kept? No? Did you give the strength to the horse and say this, this will be how long the mane of the horse will be? Did you show the dawn its place? 
Did you give the orders to the morning to rise? Friends, you are not God. I am not God. He is the great one. To all of these questions, we must find ourselves saying, no, 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 no. We must recognize how inferior we are, how great he is. We must have that sense of fear that he is in control, that he is the almighty, all-powerful God. And, And we have to realize, friends, how stunningly stupid it would be to compete for supremacy against this God. To position yourself as an enemy against this God, that he is pictured as the one on the throne, well, how foolish it would be to live a life that tries to dethrone him and place something else on the throne, like life property or sex or surfing. Good things, but horrible masters. Friends, the Bible tells us that that's what we do. The Bible tells us that we have committed the greatest treason. If treason is an attempt to overthrow the one who belongs on the throne then guilty, vile, helpless, me, we. Jesus' words were, do not fear those who kill the body. Don't, Don't fear those who can kill the body. Rather, fear him. Fear him who can destroy both soul and body. In hell. Do you fear God? We have committed treason against the one who belongs on the throne. He is the Almighty One, and to fear Him is to see that He belongs on the throne. To fear Him is to recognize that you have been living a life, I have been living a life of attempting to overthrow His rule, His ways. To realize that He is the all powerful one. That we are powerless in this situation. That to commit treason, a treason deserving a judgment. I mean, imagine if we were to do that to Julie Gillard. If we tried to overthrow Julie Gillard, we would find ourselves in trouble, right? We'll put it in proportion and perspective, friends. If you try and overthrow the Almighty One, you're in a lot of trouble. If you try and overthrow the All-Powerful One, And you realize how hopeless you are against him, how powerless you are. What hope do you have, friends? Who can stand, friends, before him, the almighty God whom we ought to fear, whom we are responsible to? Friends, we're hopeless in this situation. We are powerless to act unless he, the all-powerful one, would act on our behalf. So, oh, bliss is this thought this glorious thought that my sin, not in part but in whole, was nailed to the cross and I can bear it no more. Friends, praise the Lord that this almighty God whom you ought to fear showed infinite mercy. That while we were still enemies, Christ Jesus died for us. 
To fear God is to recognize that he should be on the throne, that he is almighty, all-powerful, sovereign ruler, that he is dreadfully, fearfully great. And thus to fear God is to be amazed by the gospel. To fear this God, to know that he is the king. How can it be that my king should die for me? Perhaps the flip side would, to not fear God would be thinking in any given situation, why isn't God doing more for me? Doesn't he serve me? But a fear of God is to be amazed that God doesn't do worse to me. Oh, the bliss of that glorious thought. True happiness is fearing God. Because the source is fearing God, friends. It's have a right understanding that He is the King in all things. That He is great. It's not about you. It's not about me. He is the Almighty One. That brings me to my second point. The reason. The reason for enjoying true happiness is that we can enjoy His ways. The reason for enjoying true happiness is that we can enjoy His ways. His kingship. Let Him be king. When we fear Him and realize He's king, we can enjoy His kingship in His kingdom. I'm hoping that at this point, as we've surveyed the Bible, you've got some glimpse of how glorious God is, that the weight of His glory has been revealed and weighed up as incredible. As you, as you look at how great God is, you realize that to fear Him is such a blessing, to be found as a child of God, an adopted child of God by the blood of Jesus, to fear God and enjoy that in fearing Him what else can you fear? For if the Almighty King is for you, who can be against you? To fear Him is to recognize that there is nothing else worth fearing than to fear Him above all else and to enjoy that. Enjoy how great He is. Don't get me wrong, I enjoy surfing, but to live a life for surfing is to settle for something so much less than a life lived for the greatest. Isn't it true, friends, that, that often the greatest joy arises out of being caught up in the greatest? So you stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon and you are not thinking about yourself at that point. You are enjoying the vastness, the greatness before you. And a delicious joy arises in, in how great this view before you is. Imagine a life that enjoys the greatest in all things, that enjoys His ways, that enjoys His kingship in His kingdom. Look with me at verse 2, or we'll start from verse 1 of 128. It says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. 
This language here of walk is the language that in essence is trying to capture this idea of all of life, your entire being, heart, mind and soul is, is walking in his ways. If he's the greatest, then let his ways, not your ways, guide how you live your entire life. And the psalmist goes on to, to show what that might look like. It says, blessed is he who fears, the God, fears God, who walks in his ways. It, it will go well for him in his work and his family life. Read with me verse 2. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Or verse 3. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Just imagine that blessing, friends. It's, it's the man who works hard with integrity at his, work, at his workplace in a fear that God is the one who calls the shots. God's ways are the best way and best guide for how he should live out his life. And he gains a reputation as one who works with integrity. And so more customers come, his life and, and business go well for him. Or he describes the family life, a, a wife who is like fruitful wine, wine that brings joy. To have a wife who is, who is so grateful for the way her husband cares for her. That it's a joyful house. Or the children who, like olive shoots, are full of promise and energy around the table. As a father leads them well, that God is the one on the throne of that family. Imagine such a blessing, friends. Can you imagine that? What, what would happen to marital fights? You probably wouldn't have time, would you? Because you'd be so busy listening to each other and forgiving each other. What, what would happen to the cliques at work or university? Again, I, I can't say that you'd have time because I think you'd be so busy talking well of others. What about when you're in your workplace or in your family or, or any relationship and someone wrongs you and sins against you. Well, you're probably, again, no longer having to murder that person in your heart, but instead you can cover the, their sin. You don't have to harbour bitterness, but instead you can forgive them and approach them in humility and love in view that the one that is on the throne is not them, but God, do you fear God and walk in His ways? That brings us to point three. If true happiness is to fear God, then may you be truly happy, friends. May you be truly happy. We read in verse 4, Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Behold, the psalmist is saying, look at this picture that we've just painted. How awesome and majestic is God. The one who ought to be feared, the one who ought to be on the throne in all things. Behold that God. Fear Him and you will enjoy true happiness. Fear Him and let His ways, not your ways, guide you in your all of life at the workplace, 
within your family, all relationships. Let His ways guide the way that you live, friends. And we read in verse four, in verse five, may it be, may you see this prosperity, this true happiness come to fruition. May it be, friends. The psalmist is pleading with us that you would know true happiness. The true happiness that comes from fearing God. Surrendering to re- with rever- reverential awe. To how awesome and great He is and His ways unfolding in your life. We read in verse 6 that this, this is a... a a fear, a true happiness that we ought to see in a corporate sense. That Israel, our children, sovereign grace as the body of Christ ought to enjoy in a corporate sense, a corporate fear of God that we as a body of Christ would lift up on the throne, not Dave, would lift up on the throne, not whoever is leading worship. But we would lift up high and exalt and bow our knees to the one who is worthy as a corporate body. That we as a body of Christ and body of believers would fear God and enjoy corporately true joy, delicious, all-satisfying joy. None of this is assumed, friends. The psalmist doesn't assume that if you just get on the fear, I fear God train, that blessings will just flow. In fact, the wisdom literature is full of the practicalities of working that out, of how understanding the fear of God ought to be worked out. Friends, to fear God then is to determine, to study, to meditate and apply God's word, the King who has spoken, to learn His ways, to enjoy His ways. It is to work out the fear of God. He is ruling in all of life. It is to work out your salvation, your life, your new life with fear, with reverence of the one who is on the throne, with the one who is all-powerful. So I want to ask some questions about what might be stopping you from this ideal that the psalmist has held before us. What's stopping you from truly enjoying true happiness? I'm sure many of you are well aware that you have happy lives. But do you have the true happiness that is presented in this psalm? Don't settle, friends. Don't settle. Seek true happiness that is submitting, surrendering all of life to the one who is all sovereign, who belongs on the throne. So what's stopping you from this ideal being real? Is it fear that there are other things that are greater? Do you you place on the pedestal the views and opinions of other people? And you've raised the the picture of other men or women as though they are huge, bigger than God. Ed Welsh says that when our heart is 
filled with the greatness of God, there is less room for the question, what are people saying or thinking of me? When our heart is filled with the greatness of God, people become small because God is great. So what is stopping you? Is, is your fashion, your language, your life filtered through culture? That might not necessarily be a bad thing, but is that your priority? Is culture the thing that calls the shots in your life? Or the Creator? Do you fear God? Because true happiness is fearing God. Just before Christmas, uh, Bianca and I were going to go up to Nambucca Heads with our girls to uh, catch up with her family. And I had hoped to do a bit of surfing. And I thought what I would do is I'll ride a shortboard, a small six-foot surfboard. But I thought I would take a Malibu, which is a board just short, or in my situation, just short of nine-foot It's a big surfboard, obviously a surfboard that won't fit in a car. So I decided that I would ring up my brother and and ask if I could borrow this Malibu, but I would also require, because I don't have roof racks, special straps to put this surfboard on the roof. So I went over to pick it up, but my brother wasn't there. And that's okay, because I've got years of experience of putting surfboards on the cars. And remember the two things that I can do when it comes to cars? Water in the... uh, I can't even remember what it's called, windscreen wipers, and stacking surfboards, right? So I've got this mount on the roof, but I cannot for the life of me work out how these special straps attach to the car. Here's what's interesting, though. There's instructions. But do you think that I was going to submit to those instructions? Nah, because I've got years of practice. I know what's best, and so I kept those instructions in the periphery. Maybe a brief little glance here and there, but ultimately, I was the one that, you know, my ways were above that. I knew what was best. 40 minutes later of wrestling with his straps <laughs> and being tested in my heart, I finally submitted. I couldn't work out how to get these straps on, and so I finally gave in to the one that knew the best way to put these straps on, the instructions. And within a matter of seconds, those straps were tight, the surfer was on the roof, and I had fun on our holiday. But I wonder, friends, how often do you approach God like that? Do you keep the one who knows what's best on the periphery of your life? Do you keep his ways, the almighty ways, the one whom you ought to fear? Do you pull him down and place him beside in a position that you don't really fear? Do you treat God like a teddy bear that really you're not that afraid of because you feel like you can control him? Friends, God is awesome. God is almighty and powerful. He is holy. He is the great and glorious God that you ought to fear. And if you want true happiness, then it must begin with and and must be driven by and affecting your life with a fear of God. Friends, do not keep Him on the periphery of your life, place Him on the throne. And if you're only hearing this for the first time, that God is the one that belongs on the throne, 
and that you're realizing how you have never considered that he ought to be on the throne of your life, then I urge you, I urge you, look to the one who took your place. Look to Jesus. Take your eyes off yourself or whatever else you have put on the throne and look to the one who ought to be on the throne to provide you with hope. For you are hopeless unless you look to the Almighty One. If that is you, then, then may you this morning look to God, the God that we ought to fear. May you look to His Son whom He sent to die as a sacrifice on our behalf that you might enjoy His ways for the rest of your days. May you, friends, be amazed, amazed at the love that our King would die for us. May you be amazed at how deliciously beautiful and brimming with true happiness a life can be when, when we submit to God in all of our ways. Let's pray. Our good, great, glorious, majestic, fearfully powerful God, behold true happiness in making much of you, in making a life that submits to your rule, to your kingship. May this morning, Lord, we enjoy a life of true happiness as we fear you. In Jesus' name, amen.